Hello and welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. And in today's episode, we are talking about those developmental milestones and mom guilt, parent guilt, comparison, the shame spiral that can sometimes show up as it relates to these milestones. In the episode, I'm sharing a little bit about my experience nine years ago with my first and how she did not hit some of those developmental milestones and the intense, tremendous amount of guilt that I felt at the time and how much I compared her and me as a parent to all the other babies and all the other parents as a way to let you know that you're not alone. And what I did was invited my friend Kaylee, the movement mama on Instagram. She is a physical therapist for kiddos and she's also a mom to two. And I invited her to come on to the podcast to offer support for all the parents tuning in who might also be feeling a little worried or anxious about milestones and wondering what they can do to support their child's development while also navigating some of the big feelings that can come along with it like guilt. Oof, guilt. Let's talk about guilt for a second. It's one of those emotions that we are actually all wired for, and it's coming along for this parenthood journey, and it's going to pop up from time to time. It's there to let us know when we've done something wrong or out of alignment with our values, or there's something to repair, or we miss something. Sometimes though, guilt can slip into shame. Shame is the experience that I think actually we experience a lot more of than we often are aware of. We call it mom guilt or parent guilt, but what we're actually experiencing is shame. Shame whispers in our ear, there's actually something wrong with you. You're a bad parent. There's something wrong with your child and it's your fault or there's just something wrong with you. The shame spiral can be so painful and shame oftentimes leads to secrecy and isolation. We don't want anyone to know about the thing that we're feeling ashamed of or shame around. So we keep it to ourselves and it keeps us from getting the support that we need. We will be touching on these experiences throughout the episode. At the end of the day, what we all want is for our children to thrive. This is why milestones and these benchmarks of development can sometimes be a breeding space for guilt, shame, and comparison. But I want you to remember that you're wired for guilt. Guilt pops in and lets you know that, hey, development and my child thriving is important to me and I want to be present and I want to support them. But guess what? You're not going to do it perfectly. You're not going to have perfect presence all the time and you deserve support. And so without further ado, let me invite you into my conversation with pediatric physical therapist, Kaylee, where we can explore ways in which you can feel empowered as a parent to support your kiddo's development through purposeful, intentional play. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. 
In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, Kaylee. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast today. I am so excited to dive into this topic. You have no idea. Um, How are you doing? And welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Yay. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here getting to just chat with you. I'm doing good. Actually, I'm I'm back at my mom's house and we're on spring break. And so I'm getting lots of my kids getting lots of attention and me getting a lot of work done, which is never a bad thing. Oh my goodness. Oh, we live we live pretty close to my parents. And I mean, now that they um, are fully vaccinated and they're both older and they got the vaccine and I, because the caution fatigue has finally lessened a little bit and we just are able to get more help from them. And it is, it is so, it's such a game changer to get that support, to be able to let people to come in and help you. And so you can just, yeah, connect with other parts of your identity and get work done and just have help and have someone else entertain your child for once. Yes, yes. And it's same same story here. My great-grandparents, um, two of them are still living here where I am. And it's just such a blessing getting to see your kids be loved on by your grandparents. Mm. And my mom's vaccinated now too. And so, yeah, when we come here, I don't, I'm not holding my breath and it's a few hours away. So we usually stay for a few days. And uh, this past year, every time we have come, which is mainly just for holidays, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, you know, are we going to leave and then find out we had an exposure? So, oh yeah, it just feels so good that they get to give all of the cuddles and kisses and slobbery Mm. smooches and not have to be nearly as panicked as we were before. Great for sure. I went and saw my grandma yesterday and to drop off some school photos of my kids. And I was, you know, I was still wearing my mask, um, as was she, but she looked at me, she's like, I'm going to hug you. And I'm like, I'm going to accept that hug. And we oh. hugged and it was just like, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. So if anyone's listening to this like years from now, like it's, yeah. it's March, 2021. We just, yeah. we just, you know, had the one year of shut down due to coronavirus. And so just bringing a little context, people are like, what are they talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Let's hope this is all a thing of the past, a blip on the map in some regards. It doesn't feel like that to us, but um, agree, man, I will never take a close hug, a prolonged hug. I love a good like 15 second hug. Mm. I'll never take one of those for granted again. That's for sure. There's like actually research. I mean, it's around couples, um, but there's actually research that says like an extended hug, like six seconds or more um, actually does something. Like you start to just kind of, I think, like really fall into the the hug and the embrace and um, it does something to your brain and you feel connected and it helps sort of regulate you and your partner. And so, yeah, long extended hugs, touch, human touch. We need it, you know, and oh gosh, I'll never take that for granted again or teachers. <laughs> teachers. Yes. yes. Oh my goodness. Oh, it's right. been a year. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a year. <laughs> so Kaylee, share with us a little bit about the work that you do, what inspires you, and yeah, just a little bit about your background. Okay. I am a pediatric physical therapist 
and a mama of two now. I've got a little girl that's three and a little boy that's one. And so part of my journey through um, finding really my passion is where my professional life and my personal life coincide, which is really a dream, right? And um, so I work primarily with children birth to three And throughout my career, I had an opportunity to work in what's called early intervention in the home. This is a state-based program where if we identify children that are delayed in their milestones or are born with special needs that we know they're going to need additional care, we go into their home as therapists and we coach and encourage their parents to really take ownership and a huge role in their therapy process and in their growth and their development. So that's kind of part one is through that, I was finding that a lot of the knowledge that to me as a clinician felt so um, common sense, I was realizing, oh gosh, you know, this really isn't common sense. And who who's educating these mothers and these fathers and these caregivers on developmental milestones and where is the missing link? Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like we are up against this billion-dollar toy industry and baby gear industry that's telling parents that they constantly need more to be able to be more productive and to get more done and, you know, be doing everything that they were doing before they were a parent (laughs) while also taking on this new role. Here's how you do it. You just buy these 10 things and your baby will never really need you. So that's kind of part one was I felt this stirring in my heart like, oh, my goodness, if only this simple tweak was made, or if only this mama knew this, she wouldn't be in this position needing to have therapy for her baby. And not from the standpoint of, gosh, you know, she should have known this, but clearly we're not giving the education that parents need. Where is that missing link, as I said before? And so the second part of that is before I um, was in early intervention, I worked in a clinic and I would give parents these exercises for their children that at the time I felt were very manageable and doable. And, um, you know, of course, before you're a mother, you think you have motherhood totally figured out, right? (laughs) And then I became a mother myself. And who would have thought the pediatric physical therapist child would be delayed in her motor milestones? But our Ada June was born um, with a little bit lower tone. And without going into too much detail, it just made movement harder for her. And so at home daily, as part of our routine, I had to very intentionally play with her in a way that was going to help her get stronger and grow and keep up with her peers um, and not get further behind. And that's when I really had this smack in the face moment of, oh man, I'm remembering all of these times that I told these parents ridiculous things to do with their children that I felt were completely doable and were not at all for busy parents. And so I started to develop these rhythms and kind of routines and ways to make my life easier while also playing with her in a way that I knew would encourage her development, not just in the motor realm, but also in other developmental realms as well without adding a ton to my day. Um, Mm. And so I just started having this dream of what would it be like if I created a resource in the online space? This was kind of at the start of a lot of people doing this for parents, um, but creating a resource that was already where moms were at. So Instagram, right? You know, we're seeing so many people doing this now and it makes so much sense because these baby development apps are amazing, but it's just another thing for a mom to check. And I wanted to just be right where she already was at 
and be able to speak right into um, her daily life. And so the Movement Mama was born. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just thought, hey, if I help five people and then make my grandma happy by seeing my (laughs) pictures of my kids and what I'm doing with my children, then that's saying something. So now Mm. uh, I just seek to educate and empower parents towards purposeful play. And uh, that's just basically a fancy word for knowing what's common and what's to be expected with development and how you can nurture it in a way that's not adding a tremendous load or takes a lot of preparation. Oh my goodness. I wish that you had been around sharing all of this nine years ago with my first. Um, It would have been because the way that you share the information is Oh gosh, it's so information. It's so informational, but it's also so easily digestible and understandable. Um, and you're a real mom, and you showcase some of these things in real like life. And I think that it's there's only so much you can do with Doctor Google or right, or during right. those you know. Um, I mean, always important to talk to your pediatrician, but those visits can be quick and there can be, uh, can be difficult to know what kind of questions to ask. And I just feel like, so I, I just by following you right now, um, and your account, um, having a seven month old, so much more informed than I was nine years ago. Oh, and you're so sweet. I'm so glad. <laughs> it's such a beautiful resource. Um, and you often also talk about this experience of mom or parent guilt, especially as it relates to milestones, which I think is so key and so important because, oh my goodness, can the guilt be thick as it relates to milestones and your child meeting milestones or falling behind um, on milestones and comparison, which is guilt's best friend. Like it is just, it can be so challenging. Um, and I love that you, in the midst of sharing so much valuable information about how we can be purposely playing with our children um, in a way that just integrates into our daily lives to support their development, how we can we also need to be talking about guilt and yeah. comparison. Um, for me, so my first postpartum, my first baby nine years ago, um, she, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about like these milestones. I knew a lot about birth, you know, and then the yeah. baby comes and I was like, it, postpartum, as I've talked about before in other episodes, really, really shook us. It was um, not something we were prepared for that first time around. And when it came to milestones, I just thought, and you know, I think for many parents, this can be the experience, but I was like, you know, she'll, I'll put on her tummy once in a while. Um, she didn't like it, so I didn't do it very much. Um, and she'll eventually crawl or she'll eventually roll. She'll eventually sit up. She'll eventually crawl. And, you know, looking back, um, she was, she, she never crawled. She walked before she crawled. She didn't crawl till she was after a year old. Um, she, 
was it was really difficult for her to move around, um, which was very frustrating to her, which was made it very hard for us as parents because she, you know, her friends, little little friends, her little baby buddies yeah, at the right. baby yeah. were moving around getting the toys, and she was kind of stuck. And yeah. it made um, it made it difficult for me to ever leave a room. I think there was a part of her that had even she had more intense sort of separation anxiety. I think connected to the fact that she had a very difficult time moving. Um, and then, you know, um, fast forward years later, um, you know, she, um, is in occupational therapy for, um, sensory motor challenges, um, dyspraxia. Um, and you know, she, these were one of the first questions they asked was about crawling and some of these early milestones. And so looking back, it's like, wow, this makes a lot of sense now knowing the things that she struggles with that why she may have struggled at the time. And I remember though, just feeling so guilty, um, during that assessment about, gosh, what did I, what did we do wrong? What could we have done better? And luckily the therapist did not perpetuate that guilt and sort of honored the fact that, you know, we know now, now we know about some of the things that she's struggling with and now we can support her. And now you understand her and know her more deeply. Right. And she's older and she's older. So we can have these conversations with her too. Um, but gosh, the guilt was thick and the comparison at the time was so hard. And I remember within with my son, he, same thing, um, he army crawled, so he was able to get around a little bit better, but, um, he also has similar challenges and also, um, has been in occupational therapy for the past year. Um, and you know, at the time I remember asking some of the my mom friends that had babies at the same age, I was like, so do you set up little boot camps to try to get your babies to crawl? Or like, how do you, how do you get your babies to crawl? Like, what are we doing? That what is this magic secret crawl? that I am missing? Yeah. Right. What is the magic secret that I'm missing here? Like my babies don't crawl and it's frustrating to them. And I'm, I see these other babies. Like, I mean, I remember with my son, like actually getting anxiety as our babies, um, because, you know, I had some mom friends with similar babies of similar ages. I felt anxiety as we started getting to the stages of rolling and sitting and crawling because of my experience with my first and like knowing that these other babies are probably going to start doing these things and leave him behind. And that's how it felt, right? Like, and it felt, oh, it felt so heavy. I felt for him. I felt like it was going to be a reflection of something I was doing wrong, um, which is more shame, right? Guilt is the experience of like, I've done something wrong. I messed up. I missed something. Shame is like, there's something wrong with me or there's something wrong with my kid. And oh, that it started to sleep. It started to kind of slip into that and I'd actually get anxiety about these upcoming milestones just because I wasn't sure if my son was going to meet them or be at the same level as these other babies. Um, and now with my third, right, like I am I'm so much more informed because of going through the assessments and learning more about my older two. Um, and, but also what I've noticed is that because of the pandemic, I'm not around other babies. And there's almost been 
some sort of like there's been definitely the the, the cons, right? Like lack of support. And gosh, I, I think about all the postpartum moms right now going through this um, without being able to have like that mom support system, right? And parent parent support system and other friends that are going through it with them and being around other babies and having somewhere to go. But also I've noticed there's just so much less like stress and pressure around her needing to be matching other babies when they're meeting milestones, right? Um, And just sort of being able to go at our own pace while also being more informed to support her. So that's my like long-winded way of saying I care a lot about this topic <laughs> that we're yes. talking about. No, and what you're saying is what so many moms experience. And I think there's so many angles to that. I mean, one of the first things that comes to mind is we can only do better when we know better. That's something I say a lot that we are all on our own unique journey in this life. We all have different pediatricians. We all consume different content. We all were raised differently. Um, and that really affects the way that we we parent in so many positive ways. And so I just try to tell the moms in my space and any moms I encounter in the clinic that if they didn't know any better, they can't be, have been expected to do any better. So for example, I talk a lot about trying to keep babies out of baby gear within reason, right? You know, we're all busy moms. There is a time and a place for that. But I think often we were doing it in excess, again, in that idea of we constantly have to be doing more, even though we have a baby or multiple children and we're, we're feeling this pressure. And so when moms encounter that information, we're immediately, of course, hit with the guilt. But if we didn't know any better, we couldn't have done any better. And the best way to use that energy and that fire is to then just do better moving forward. And like you said, you now have this information with your youngest that you can kind of reframe things and see it as a new opportunity to use that valuable information you've been given. But each child has such a unique journey. They're their own little person. I think it's so easy for us to forget that too, that we can set the stage for something and they still don't walk, you know, within a normal range or they don't talk within a normal range. We, we can only do so much, but then they're their own little human. Like my Ada that struggled with motor milestones, she is so social. She loves to read. She's very imaginative. And I really feel like her being behind in her motor, motor milestones allowed me to refocus on where her strengths were did lie Mm -hmm. because not every child is going to be the top of the pack, the athlete, and she may be one day. Um, but it's, it's okay if not every baby is hitting milestones at the first part of those ranges. And I think that's where we get into trouble with these very well-meaning baby development apps. But I think with COVID especially, moms are relying on those so much for the litmus test of where their baby's at because they don't have play dates to see, oh, you know, my friend Cassidy and I got together and our babies are around the same mm-hmm. age and, and my baby's doing this and her baby's doing that and I feel good or I feel bad or I feel whatever way I feel. Some of the baby development apps, I don't know where they get their information, but I actually think it's sparking more fear and anxiety at times than it is mm-hmm. peace of mind. Um, so that's yeah. really something I feel like I'm combating as well. Yeah, because babies don't fit in boxes, just like humans don't Mm -hmm. fit perfectly in boxes, right? And so 
gosh, yeah, you're, what you're saying makes so much sense that, um, you know, before when I, when we had baby play dates, right? Like I could see what some other babies were doing and that there was a range, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that it's not like every baby was doing the exact same thing at this exact same time in the exact same way. So there was also that pro of those those social connections and hear what you're saying that now they're going to an app that's going to, you know, for one reason or another, have these things more in like boxes, right? Mm -hmm. Like check off boxes and doesn't take into consideration the full picture, right? Which is what, you know, working with someone like you would do more of, right? In terms of like, let's look at the whole picture to get a that beautiful picture of your baby and where your baby is at. Um, but oh my gosh, it's, um, it can be really, really challenging. And I, 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 now I wish that I could bottle up the perspective that I have now because my first, my nine-year-old daughter who really never crawled, like she only crawled till after she walked and was pretty stationary for a big chunk of her first year of her life. Now I look at her and I see, of like, I remember being scared because there was like the link. If they don't crawl, will they struggle in reading? And I mean, yeah. I see, I see a, a, a nine-year-old girl who is thriving and loves to read, and like is has so many of her own skills. And we are learning more about her through some of these assessments and giving her support where she might need support, but she is such a well-rounded, like healthy, thriving child. And I wish that I could bottle up the perspective because now I know like if my seven month old June, if she is behind on some of these milestones, which we're noticing that she is a little, I have this perspective though of like knowing that like, okay, just like if I don't exclusive, like, you know, it's like, the, it's like the exclusive breastfeeding. It's like, I remember with my first, like I needed to, ex- I needed that word exclusive. The pediatrician would yes. ask me, are you exclusively Girl, yes. breastfeeding? And <laughs> it, it would, it was connected to that same part of me that wanted to have straight A's and just like exclusive. And now it's like, you know, my kid, my son's been sick the last couple of days and I don't think he's had any, like he's had, I'm sure that there's, there's some nutrition in the food he's been eating, but like, and I'm, I'm going to just like go, I'm going to hold on to that, you know, hope. but like we, we're just kind of in survival mode right now. And I don't know. It's like, if I could just bottle up the perspective of the fact that like some days your kid's going to go a day where all they eat is like, you know, ketchup and ice cream. And like, that is, and then you're all going to survive. But like, if yeah. your baby like doesn't exclusively breastfeed, like your baby's going to be okay. Your baby's yes. maybe going to thrive. Maybe you're going to thrive, right? Like, oh my gosh. It's just, um, I wish I could bottle up the perspective, but when you're in it and it's your first time, oh, it's so hard because I hear you say, if you, you, if you don't know better, how could you have done better? And you know, the first thought, the part of me that wants to come in and like demand that I should have known better pops in and says, well, why didn't you know better? Like, why did you, maybe you could have done X, Y, or Z. And it's just that, that inner judge, that inner critic. Um, I just shared a reel about that yesterday, (laughs) um, where I literally pretended to be a judge, like just like, you know, with the gavel, like you need to like do better. Oh, it's so, that voice can be really loud. It can be really hard. 
in that first year. I just feel like because particularly motor milestones are so tangible and so visible, especially in the age of social media. So even though we're not having play dates, I mean, people are not going to be posting videos of their baby that's not going to sleep or having a poor latch or we don't know from a picture that their baby may not be jabbering yet, but we do know, oh, you know, so-and-so posted their baby's first birthday picture and, and they're not standing and walking yet. You know, I feel like nobody's actually saying that, but we're saying mm-hmm. it to ourselves. We're saying, oh my goodness, like, how do I make it look like my baby's sitting up in their six-month milestone photo? They're not sitting up yet. What do I do? Or, uh, <laughs> you know, I just saw my friend's baby crawling in her Instagram stories and my baby's not crawling. And so then we get in our head Um, and I just, I feel like it's these hoops. We feel like we have to jump through and exactly what you're saying, this perspective with time, that big picture, these things matter, but they don't matter as much as we think they do at the time. So we Mm -hmm. overanalyze and overthink. And if we just think big picture, um, we realize that we're doing a really good job and we love them and love is the most important thing and everything else is going to fall into place and it's part of their own unique journey and like you said you're learning so much about your daughter through her assessments and maybe you wouldn't have been at this point had she just hit every mark her journey would have been completely different and I think there's a lot of beauty in that that's really difficult to see when we're in the trenches. Hey there, mamas, parents, Dr. Cassie popping in real quick in the middle of this episode to talk to you a little bit more about that experience of mom guilt or parent guilt. If you are resonating with some of the challenging experiences that we're touching on in this episode, and if you have a little one between zero and 12 months, we've got you covered in our Flourish in the First Year course with a lesson all about mom guilt. I walk you through the experience step-by-step to get you back into the driver's seat of your life, reclaiming joy and presence and not getting hooked into that spiral of shame. Now, it's not about perfect presence because we all know that perfection was never the goal to begin with. At least I hope you know that if you're tuning into my podcast. But we do offer some real tangible tips and support for this really common but really painful experience that can show up that postpartum year and beyond. Now, let's get back to the episode. But if you want to learn more, you can click the link in the show notes. It's With so all of it. true. It's so true. And you know, when it comes to comparison and guilt, we are wired for both of those. And I talk about this often, but I think it's a message that is just so important to continuously receive, which is we are wired to compare and we're wired for guilt. And here's why. Like comparison is something that's going to show up whenever you walk into a new situation and you're going to look around to see what are others doing. Like it's just a way that our brain receives information to make sense of our environment, to make sense of the world around us, to make a plan, to figure out what the spoken, what the rules are, spoken and unspoken. So we are wired to compare. And like you mentioned earlier, hey, if I'm on a play date and I notice that, um, you know, their baby is is rolling or scooting um, or able to catch themselves from a seating position and my baby isn't yet, I might compare. And that can definitely slip into a place where we just feel 
bad, right? And it's painful. But if 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 we if a comparison shows up in the role that it's meant to show up in, we might ask ourselves a question of like, huh, I wonder if this is something that I could ask my pediatrician about, right? Like, I wonder yeah. if there's a way for me to receive more information so that I can no, like, is this something I need to be concerned about or not, right? Like going to a source to receive support. Um, the way that guilt is shows up as something we're wired for is that, you know, at its core, guilt pops up and says, hey, like, I did something there that doesn't feel in alignment with a value or something that's important to me or, oof, like, thanks, guilt, for the reminder that I need to go and repair something, you know? Like, because guilt is there to say, like, oh messed up, did something wrong, like missed something. But so often what we are actually experiencing when we talk about mom guilt or parent guilt, I think a lot of times it's actually shame. Shame is that like part of us that hides out in the corners and it just whispers, whispers things in our ear. Like there's actually something wrong with you, like at your core, like there's just something wrong with you or something wrong with your kid, or you've really messed them up now. Like what's wrong with you? Um, ugh, it's such a painful space to be in. Um, and Dr. Brene Brown, she's done a lot of research around shame. And I have a whole podcast episode all about that, that I can link to in the show notes, but gosh, it can really show up when it comes to milestones. I yeah. I know it did for me and I know it does for many. And I think that social media for sure plays a role in this. I mean, my baby is sitting kind of, but like she falls pretty easily and can't catch herself. And I have to kind of really be right there with her. She's seven and a half, almost eight months old. And for her, I think for her seventh month photo, like I had a picture of her sitting and it's like, I put her there and I took it really quickly and then had to go make sure she wouldn't fall, you know, but it's yeah. like, if somebody sees that, they assume my baby is like really, like really securely sitting up and mm-hmm. she's not yet, you know, like, and so I don't know. It's just so, it, it's, it's, it can be such a beautiful space of finding resources like you, social media, but it can also just breed that comparison, guilt, slipping into shame spiral. Oh my gosh. I know. I know. I feel like that's where I just really have such a passion for trying to help parents feel like they know what to expect. They know things that they may want to do to play with their baby. And then they just go and love on their kids and try not to sweat it. But I do feel like with all the stress of this last year, with all the stress of any first year as a mom, it's just, it's so hard and it's a battle worth fighting to try to convince mamas and dads and any caregiver that, that they're doing a really good job and that we can't do all the things. And that was one thing I was thinking about and talking to you is it's interesting being in the online space and you see these wellness experts or clinicians as moms and it's easy to also think, oh, well, they have it all together. They know everything about kids. And it's like, um, no, I know a lot about motor development, but then, you know, I have just the same struggles as anyone else when it comes to all the other realms of development. And I'm sure you feel that same way too. Yeah. It's yeah. it's hard to not see the experts as um, having it all together in that same mm. vein. And like, well, why can't I be like this mom, she just makes all of these fun sensory activities look so amazing and so easy to do. And when I try to do sensory activities with my kids, they just eat it or throw it on the floor. And it's like, well, 
you know, that person might be an occupational therapist. Maybe that's their expertise. And so I think that's another layer to all of this shame too, is, is we try to take in this information and then feel as if this is what's expected of us as a mother or a father um, or a caregiver. And that's just really not true. Yeah. Okay. So for the, for those who are listening right now and they are curious what milestones should I be paying attention to? Like, where can I go to receive information about um, understanding whether or not, um, you know, seeking out physical therapy or ask, talking to my pediatrician about this, about milestones would be helpful? Like, where where can parents start? And then, and then I want to talk a little bit about purposeful play with you. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like the big three in that first year in particular, the ones that you're wanting to really focus on, if that's even the word I want to use, but just really more being mindful um, and intentional is tummy time, right? We all know (laughs) the dreaded tummy Mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. But that really is the foundation. And the way I kind of explain motor milestones in that first year in particular is sort of like a factory assembly line that if one person is missing from that assembly line, sure, the end product probably comes out, but we may have kinks along the way or we may have um, issues down the road that we then have to circle back on and address. And not saying that in this big grand scheme of, oh, if they skip this step, your child's going to be screwed up, but more so just being mindful that, okay, my baby did not crawl, as you said, you know, until much later. So I may just be mindful that I'm going to incorporate lots of crawling play once they're a toddler and we're going to build forts and we're going to crawl through tunnels um, or crawl uphill or crawl across the bed, whatever that may be. Um, So tummy down time is so, so important and is really a foundational skill that leads to everything else. Um, The next one is rolling. Um, Rolling is a transitional movement that without getting too nerdy, leads to a lot of other transitional movements and just body awareness Mm -hmm. that then kind of falls into crawling and crawling on hands and knees. You've kind of touched on this a little bit, but there's a lot of research around how important it is neurologically and how important it can be for sensory processing and handwriting Mm -hmm. and attention and reading. And what we're fighting a little bit is that actually the American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't acknowledge crawling as an important milestone. So this is something I'm trying to dive deeper into because it's this dichotomy of therapists are saying, this is really important. Our research is showing this is important. And then parents are going to the pediatrician and being told, oh, actually it's it's okay if your baby skips crawling. So it is an important one. And I think you know, pediatricians are very well-meaning. So if they're told by their governing body that that it's not a milestone, then they're going to tell parents that and that's okay. But um, those are kind of the big three. And yeah. really to sum up the most important thing, I would say just freedom of movement is how I would mm-hmm. sum up purposeful play for all of those things. So again, going back to that, we're told that we need all of these things. And sometimes we do need some of those things. So maybe your baby has reflux and they can only sleep in a baby swing for the first three months of life. Like that's really hard. And, and as you were saying earlier with thinking big picture, you know, I would never fault 
a parent for doing something like that just to keep their baby healthy and safe. Or maybe a mom is at her limit and emotionally like the baby won't sleep and she just needs to get her baby to sleep. So sometimes we have to do those things and know that it's okay if the motor milestones in that moment are taking a backseat to our own mental health or to our baby's health. Um, and that so, we're all, and that we're being safe, you know. That yeah, we're, we're exactly. Safe, keeping safe our baby safe, yeah. keeping ourselves safe. Um, I think that's a huge thing, especially in this last year. We're being asked to do more than we ever dreamt possible. We're being asked to work from home full time and mom from home full time and be um, a spouse uh, or a partner from home full time, and it's really hard. So that's another kind of piece factored in there as well. But just trying to think, I'm gonna look at my day and try to get as much freedom of movement for my baby as I can, because that's how they learn to move their bodies. Mm -hmm. If you have a bad day and they end up needing to be contained all day, whether it be in a bouncer or swing or an exercise or, or whatever, that's okay. Then I just take a deep breath and the next day think, okay, yesterday (laughs) wasn't, wasn't my best day. I'd like to then maybe try to get more time. So maybe I'm going to put this work project on the back burner that really doesn't need to be done today. And I'm going to spend 15 minutes in the floor with my baby because yesterday Mm -hmm. I didn't get a chance to do that. I had all these work calls and I just had to do what I had to do to get by. So really just finding balance. um, But it all just kind of boils down to that freedom of movement. Mm. Oh my gosh, I can totally see that. And and I love though your approach here of looking at it as balance, right? Because yeah. there are just those days where it's like I just need to get stuff done. Child care fell through. It's really hard to get work yeah. done when your baby is rolling around everywhere or when your, your baby is ha- like happy in these in a bouncer, right? It's like babies love to be upright. It's like, woo, this is new. This is a new way to look at the world. And um, yeah. And I think that, you know, I, I love the balanced approach that you take because sometimes when you have older children, you're um, and you're not trying to do it all, but you're just trying to get stuff done that needs to get done, like dinner, you know, or like to feed yourself or like to go to the bathroom. Yeah. And um, you know, be, to be able to know that we have these options. Um, and, and we want to find time and space, um, for developmental mile for their development to have freedom of movement. Um, and then one thing that I didn't know, uh, with my youngest and eventually learned more about was looking at things like, um, how like at their movement. So for instance, I, I, my first, she, her head was always sort of facing one direction and then she ended up kind of just rolling in one direction. And so there were little things like this that I'm learning now um, that there's ways that we can notice that and support our babies in in, in their movements too, yeah. right? Um, is, is this something that kind of can show up in purposeful play as well and just kind of supporting them? Now that we've given them freedom of movement, now we're going to play with them in ways that's actually really intentional in supporting their movement in milestones. Is that is that the yeah. case? Absolutely. I think a lot of purposeful play is just being present. 
So really focusing, it doesn't mean you have to be playing with your baby nonstop the whole day, but if you even just take 10 minutes and give them your entire focus, these are the things that we do start to notice, right? So a lot of times Mm -hmm. we're caught though in that being pulled in so many different directions that it's difficult to notice those things. Um, My own daughter, I'm a pediatric physical therapist and it took me like eight weeks to realize she was only looking one direction because we're doing so many different things. So yes, when you're down with your baby, just really being mindful of observing them. What do they do? Do they tend to use only one arm when they're reaching for toys? If so, put toys on the other side and encourage them to look that way. And um, trying to put toys around them in a circle is a big thing that I love to do because it not only encourages them to look both ways, but to roll both ways and to try to crawl, uh, to get things Mm -hmm. out of reach or pivot. Um, But absolutely, just being really aware of their strengths where you may be able to nurture them to be strong on both sides. Crawling is another one that they can often start just using one side. And so really it's just, okay, my baby loves this side. I'm going to try to get them to love and be strong on this other side too. Um, Mm -hmm. And definitely talking with their pediatrician if they feel like it's to the point of concern where they're just not really um, wanting to do things on one side. But for the most part, it's just a preference. They're scrunched up in our stomach for months. (laughs) And so if they're not forced um, gently, I forced is not the word to use, but if they're not not, um, encouraged encouraged, to look the other direction or roll the other direction, babies are smart. They're like, I got this. I got this on this side. Why do I need to get it on the other side? (laughs) Um, So yeah, just being really mindful and aware. And you have some resources related to purposeful play, correct? I mean, I know that your Instagram yeah. account is is a huge resource. Um, and there's like, sometimes I'll just find myself being like, okay, like literally what you were saying earlier, okay, today, yesterday I was recording podcasts all day or I was um, distracted or I was just trying to get things done. Um, and today... I'm going to, I have, I have things on my to-do list for sure. Like the laundry looking at me and the dishes looking at me and the emails to respond to. But today I'm going to take some time during her wake time, just dedicated to being with her on the floor, freedom of movement, freedom of space. And sometimes what I'll do is like the night before when I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this tomorrow. Like be really intentional about it. I will like go on your account and I will like <laughs> scroll through and look for ideas of ways I can play with her that's really purposeful and intentional. And I mean, it's great because it's supporting her, but it's also helpful because, oh my gosh, play fatigue is real. I'm like, yeah. I don't know how many more times I can just hand you this toy or get this toy to make a sound or <laughs> like yeah. turn this yeah. button on or off um, or, you know, and, and obviously her favorite thing right now in the world is me. And so, um, you know, how many times can I blow, you know, raspberries on her belly and let her grab my hair and eat her neck to make her giggle? Like, I mean, it's all things I love, but like play fatigue is real and it is okay to get fatigued as a parent. It's understandable. And so what I also appreciate about your um, account is just the ideas, the like, fresh novel ideas of things to do. Oh, well, that's so sweet. Um, yeah. So at the movement mama, it's M A M A. Um, 
I, I do have highlight bubbles um, per developmental skill up through walking. And then I'm working to build my digital resource library where a parent could say, gosh, you know, my babies, I just feel like they're really stuck with rolling and they're getting really frustrated. How can I gently nurture this? And and that's really what I want to put out there is it's not that we want to force these milestones. It's not that it's a competition. It's not that it's um, a hoop that you have to jump through. But if you're wanting knowledge on that, or if you're seeing that frustration, like you said, with your daughter, it can be so frustrating in those periods where their brain wants to be moving and their body can't do it yet. So they know what they want to do and their body is just not yet able. And so really that's my goal is, is to give ideas and resources for gently nurturing those milestones. Um, and I'm working to, um, start building a course library as well. Again, in the vein of most babies will be totally fine, but if you want the knowledge, if that helps you feel empowered and not overwhelmed, then I want that resource to be there because there are so many moms who, um, the lack of knowledge is really overwhelming. I, I did a course for our daughter on starting solids because to me that felt like such an overwhelming but huge milestone that it was yeah. like I put so much pressure on myself. Oh, if I don't get this right, then I'm going to totally screw up her eating forever. And that that's not true, right? But Oh, it's definitely not. I took a feeding course too. And it's my third and I'm learning so much that I had no idea with for my first two um, in yeah. terms of feeding. I was like, whoa, like there's a lot to know here. But you know what? I didn't, I also didn't take the course nine years ago and my older kids, they're okay. Eating, they're totally okay. Yes. And it's you know, so I think that again, another just I wish I could bottle up the perspective because I'm going into it now. I'm taking in information and I'm just in such a such a different experience now with this third, um, having the perspective and also doing all the work that I've done, um, you know, around postpartum and supporting moms. Like it, I'm just a very different place, but. Yeah. Um, it's, I wish I could bottle up the perspective and I just want to share the message since I can't bottle up the perspective. I want to share the message of you are doing enough. You are enough and we can be present and intentional and, um, get support while still being enough. Right. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Our kids are going to be okay because, like you said earlier, like if are they are they loved? Are they safe? Are you doing? Are you trying to be balanced? <laughs> you know, like again, the, the keyword try because it's never going to be perfect. Like yeah. then you are doing an amazing job. You're doing an amazing job. Yeah, you know? I think that big picture perspective is so important. I agree. Mm-hmm. It's so hard in that moment not to feel like it's so big. And that we're somehow going to screw them up forever. But, you know, we didn't have these resources. Our moms didn't have these resources for us. And yes, times have changed, but it's all part of their journey and agreed. I think so many mamas are not giving themselves enough credit for all the amazing things they're doing for their family. Oh, Kaylee, thank you so much. I am going to be sure to include resources to all of the things that you offer um, in the show notes for anyone who's listening and is feeling 
like I feel like I could use the support as it relates to milestones um, in a way that isn't going to make me feel bad about myself yeah. or my baby, um, which you are definitely that kind of resource. So I will share links to all of that in the show notes. Kaylee, thank you so much for coming on. I am so grateful to have had a chance to connect with you and be able to share um, this conversation with others. So thank you. Thanks, Cassidy. It was a joy. Thank you again. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OBJN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me into part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.